Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades, the Werewolf Edition. Uh, it's me, Mercer, as always, joined by my beautiful, beautiful co-host, who haven't yet transitioned, Faye and Chris. Oh. <laughs> Bitch. Uh, <laughs> and we've also got a very, very special, lovely guest uh, on this edition. You know him from the Soho Horror Film Festival, or the Soho Horror Film Festival, it's the beautiful, talented, wonderful Charlie Steed. No, it's not. It's Mitch Harrod. <laughs> Hello, you beautiful fucks. How are we all doing? Oh, that were a good howl. Thank you. It was good, yeah. Thank mm. you. Thank you. Because I got a wolf dick. <laughs> it means it goes up into your body when you stand up. <laughs> it's always in my body. That's my excuse anyway. <laughs> it's in my body, it's in my body, I swear. Oh my. This is starting lowbrow already, I do apologise. Thank you guys so much for having me though. Thank I'm excited you. to talk some, some lycanthropes, some lycanthropes. So before we get on to uh, our actual films, what we've been up to, anyone done anything exciting, seen anything exciting this week? I've been watching musicals today. For a change, you know. So much La La Land and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Which could be a horror, by the way. Sinister as fuck. And the Candyman at the beginning is just weird anyway. Like, weirder than I remember him as a child. And, you know, how Wonka's not on some sort of register, I've no idea. The Candyman provides me one of my favourite moments in the film when he lifts thing up and whacks that little girl's head back. <laughs> he proper knocks her out. <laughs> I love it. It's a a film that kills children with absolutely zero disregard or morals. So it definitely is a horror film. And that fucking chicken in the boat scene in that that, that haunted tunnel, genuine... I don't know why, but the chicken is the thing that really fucked me up as a kid. Because they've they've literally just killed an animal in front of children. That's why. (laughs) I think I remember that was the first time I'd ever seen a chicken as well. Because like, I remember asking my nan. My nan used to have like a canal boat, and I remember watching Charlie and Chocolate Factory on like an eight-inch cathode ray TV, like the smallest fucking thing. Um, I couldn't really make out what was going on, and I was like, "Nan, what's wrong with that seagull? What's wrong with it?" Because it had that like testicle on the throat and everything, and that was my that was my first exposure to chickens. So, fuck me up from the get go. They <laughs> say. Look at all those yep. chickens! Look at all those chickens! <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> Have you seen anything different, Chris? No, I've, I've, I've been low-key low key film watching this week. It's been too busy, too busy working. So, unfortunately, yep. no, I do not believe I've watched anything this week, but Faye's going to correct me because I'm sure we've seen something. No, I just felt you had a dig at me then because I did watch those whilst I was working. I've been too busy working, but I can fit in musicals. You can, you can, but no, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember watching anything apart from Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows last night, which I watched the first half of and realised how awful it truly was still. Wrong. I just, gave, I just went to bed. Wrong. I think we should put that to bed for now because yeah. I have a feeling Blair Witch to might somehow at one point make it into 
one of these episodes. Definitely. Um, I'll say as well, I've been so busy that I've not been able to watch anything. Not a dick at you, Faye, just a, just a matter of reality. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've not watched, <clears throat> and I've only just managed to watch the four films for this episode. So, you, Mitch? I've watched some fun shit. Um, I've been watching some stuff I can't talk about yet because um, it's for a film festival that's coming up and maybe you'll see it soon. Uh, but also, um, I logged on to Shudder and I rewatched The Mortuary Collection, um, an anthology that we caught or a few of us caught back in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to rewatch it because I fell asleep because it was on at like midnight and it's a two hour long film and Dang. it's fucking amazing. It's got proper, like, Tales from the Dark Side creep show vibes. Really, really good. Uh, and I also watched Run. Uh, this, like, it's almost like a 90s TV movie um, starring Sarah Paulson, basically, as um, as Kathy Bates in Misery, uh, that's keeping her uh, disabled daughter locked up in a house. And it's really fun. It's really good. Nice. I would recommend both of them highly, um, but I'd recommend the films that I can't talk about more course it's like we're interviewing a director can you tell us about your next project no i can't really talk about that no i can't really talk about it but i can say that it'll be better than everything we've done before of course (laughs) what i'll say is play your cards right and maybe maybe on the results show i'll give you something special oh tease (laughs) (laughs) you want to see this you want to see all of this (laughs) but what guys what are we here today to talk about and today we are here to talk about Le Werewolf, Le Dog. La Lupin, La Rougarou, La Lupin. Le Good Doggo. We are. Thanks, thanks for steering us in the wrong direction there, Mitch. <laughs> um, first of all, before we jump onto films, I just want to just give a, a shout out to just a couple of people who've had the decency to acknowledge us this week <laughs> in the social medias. <laughs> Um, if that's okay with you, Mitch. Um, and also to say thank you to all the, the new followers that we've got on Facebook and Twitter, not on Instagram because the tie. Um, but yeah. But yeah, so just, just a little bit of feedback. It's not all directly linked to last week's show. Some of it is. So um, it's, it's just giving us what we wanted. So Salty and Popcorn um, just came in to tell us that it was all up to date now. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, Just in time for the werewolves episode. So his favourite is an American werewolf in London. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, And other greats are The Howling, Game of Werewolves, The Company of Wolves, The Wolfman, original, but also enjoy the remake. Don't know how anyone enjoys the remake. Um, Curse of the Werewolf and Ginger Snaps. Hmm, interesting. I've never seen Game of Werewolves. That was called Game of Werewolves? Game of Werewolves, yeah. But I really hope it's just a load of werewolves sat around playing Guess Who or Connect Four. Because total misadvertising <laughs> if you don't do that. I hope, they're oh. playing, I hope they're playing werewolves with just other pictures of wolves. They're like, has he got hair? Yes. Oh, for fuck. <laughs> 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 big old claws. Um, we also had um, this is this is almost linked, well, kind of linked to last week. So Neil or Horror of Dracula on Twitter, um, he just said, "Is it hyperbole to say that Faye 
that Faith Sung intros to the one-star reviews is the highlight of the week. Now, do we know what hyperbole means? It means the. It, it basically means, as he says, the best or most anticipated or the most enjoyed. Basically, just his highlight, personal highlight. No, it doesn't. His meaning is it's an obvious and intentional exaggeration, an an extravagant statement or figure of speech not intended to be taken literally. Hang on, this started off as a compliment and now it's turned. (laughs) Neil? He's right, okay. I'm sorry. It's a compliment. Yeah. He's missing the word. Yeah. I don't think it's a misuse of the word. He's saying it's his highlight of the week. But then is that something that's like a bit exaggerated to say? And I'm going to tell him, no, it's not. No, it's, it's not, not exaggerated Neil. To say. I, I, I know that everyone looks forward to me singing every other week. <laughs> I understand yeah. this. I can't help this power. I can't help this talent. I'm just born this way, baby. I mean, don't be overwhelmed by it. A lot of people are like, whoa, what's this? Too much shine on this gal. Don't worry about well, it, Neil. Is, just go with it. The thing is, fair, he is loving it. He was just asking everyone else if it might have been a bit over the top, but we no. were all, all on his side. It's not. It did also say that uh, my werewolf impression comes a close second. I want to jump in and say it's one of my highlights of the week. I genuinely don't know any of you from Adam, but still, <laughs> I, come, I come back and listen week on, week out, and it's purely for the... It's, it's the Eurovision Song Contest of impressions. Um, I, I kind of want to pose a challenge for next week, if I maybe can. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to hear Faye do one-star reviews in the style of Corn or Jonathan Davis. Oh, beautiful. Jesus Christ. We'll work on that. It's we'll work on that one. A lot of scatting to go on through that. Is that the... Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got exactly, it, I got yeah. it. Don't worry. One-star, one-star, reviewers. One-star, one-star, reviewers. I'm, I'm all over it, don't you worry. I'm, well, you've practically just done it. We might as well just use yours. Yeah, we'll just... just you, no, 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 no. Yours is better. Yours is far better. Um, just to let you know, uh, Sked Sheepless was just catching up as well. Um, so she was catching up on the phone footage episode. This is in light of something Chris said, uh, or you said in that episode's results show, I believe, fair, which is she can't even imagine the confusion you'd feel waking up to the end of Borderlands. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Um, another person harking back to... Last week was New Horror Express, so they were so inspired, so inspired by our episode of Remake and Reimaginings that they put a post out themselves wanting to know what everybody else's favourite post-modern horror film remake is, so post-2000. So if you haven't answered them, get on Twitter, New Horror Express, give them a response. You're pre-post, post-2000, after 2000, after... Yeah. Uh, favorite horror um, remake, and then finally, I got some personal feedback on um, the trailer reviews, where someone gave me a grade, and they graded me C minus. And I'm just gonna say, I'm happy to take a C minus because I sit on my little shitty iPhone putting everything together. <laughs> Who sits there grading? Trailers that people from podcasts have made and put online. They say as a group of people who sit there reviewing films that are made and put up a general distribution. Who are they? Name name and shame the C minus, Melissa. Oh Boston Jerry gave me a C minus. Don't think it's his real name. 
I just think he's Derry from Boston. Um, but yeah, I'm happy with a C minus. I ain't no professional. C minus is good. It's not bad. C minus is good. It's better than a it's better than a D plus. True. Or is it the same? Well, I happen to think, John, that you're. Yeah, I was genuinely impressed by your trailer editing. Um, I did message you to tell you this. Um, um, so I'm not blowing smoke up your ass purely on the podcast, a live sake. Um, I think you're doing a great job, and I think Tom should fuck Jerry in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> is that not in? Is that not in the new Tom and Jerry trailer? Oh, <laughs> uh, Chloe Moretz watches. I'll t- tell you what. I'm sticking my I'm sticking my neck out there. On here, along with a couple of other people I do like and respect, I think the trailer looks great. I can't wait for Tom and Jerry. I legitimately thought it was a joke. Really? Like a fake trailer. It looks good. Yeah, it looked that bad. I'm definitely up for watching it. More so than I wanted to watch Cats. Hmm. However, Cats... As of, by the way, I do believe it is going on Sky Movies on Boxing Day. So if you want to, if you like a drink on, over Christmas, possibly a good time to get up Christmas and Boxing Day morning, open a beer and a watch, watch cats. cats. And also, because we completely forget to mention it, Disney Plus also has the Soul. Soul, which debuts on Christmas Day. Nothing to do with horror. No, but, but I absolutely Christmas is coming. I just absolutely adore Pixar and everything they do. So I cannot wait. To see that film. Do you know what I can't wait to do? I can't wait to get into it on our four films that we've picked. <laughs> That's what I can't wait for. Are we ready? We are ready. So, who's going to start us off? I will go first if no one has any objections. No? Good. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> so, mine is a film so synony- synonymous with werewolf movies that it can be anything else. We already had one of our listeners, Dear Saltier Popcorn, already mentioned it in his top werewolf films. It is, of course, 1981's John Landis, written and directed An American Werewolf in London. I was holding for applause, but that's absolutely fine. You keep holding for these applause after your introduction. We're not going to clap you for picking the most popular film. I'm going to start cutting applause into these quiet moments in the future. When you edit, you can. It's, it's really hard to clap when you've got pause. It's just... Oh, it's just boo. Like, light furry ruffling, like... Okay, so, for anyone for anyone who has never heard of this film, the one person furthest flung reaches across the globe, just break it down. So, David and Jack are two American backpackers travelling throughout Europe for three months. Even though they've got a small rucksack on their back, I'm not exactly sure how they're travelling or camping or doing anything with the amount of stuff they're carrying with them. They are on the moors when David is attacked by a werewolf and poor Jack is unfortunately killed. The werewolf itself is killed in the melee. However, David is sent to London Hospital where he then starts feeling a little bit werewolfy. Lupine? Lupine is the word. And that is the breakdown of the basic plot. And he goes on a killing spree, as most werewolves tend to do. That's a theme that we'll see recurring. Where did he initially get infected? He is on the moors. So they took him from Yorkshire to London, to the hospital. Clearly the US Embassy were like, 
no, we need him to get to it. You can't have him in Sheffield or Bradford. No, get him down the, get him down the, come and get treat him down to the pit. We, get him down to the hospital. We have perfectly reputable hospitals. Fancy yeah. arse having to go all the way to London. That's one of the things I thought. I'm like, if they're in Northern England, where we've got Leeds and Manchester and Sheffield, like really big cities with really big hospitals, why did we go to London? But I guess an American werewolf in Leeds <laughs> doesn't sound as good. American werewolf in American werewolf in Chorley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for an American audience, if you said an American werewolf in Leeds or Sheffield, they'd be like, what is this place? Whereas American werewolf in London, they're all going to be like, hey, yeah. Got it. Be fair, I spent the whole three years of my degree wandering around going, what is this place? I can understand them. <laughs> then why ain't you fucked off, Chris? <laughs> I was attacked by a werewolf and they treated me here for some reason. <laughs> anyway, right. Obviously, it's a brilliant film. The reason I love it so is, bizarrely enough, the first horror film I have any recollection of seeing in any way, shape or form. Obviously, this came out in 81 and I was on holiday with my my nan and my dad down in Devon in 85 which shows you how quickly films came to terrestrial TV back in the day there was no waiting for five years for Sky Movies to have it before it got the channel five but so I remember laying there on the fold out couch with my dad watching American Werewolf in London and then him being hairy and thinking he might be a werewolf because that's what you obviously you assume your dad being hairy. Yeah, my dad was. Yes. A, my dad is a hairy man, so there's there's me. He could be a werewolf. He's not. He's just my dad. Just some clarification, yeah, yeah, yeah. just in case anyone needs. Back on track. Back, anyway, on, tra- back on track. Back on track. But this is. I know you, when we watched it, you not argued, but you wonder whether it could be classed as a horror comedy or not. Whether yeah. that's what they were going for. And I'm 100% certain, with no doubt, that is exactly how he pitched it when he, ma- when he made it. Definitely watching this time around, yeah. The, inter- um, yeah. the interaction between Jack and David is just too comedy-heavy for it to be. It's not only their interaction, it's, it's everybody who interacts around them, like the, you know, the suspiciousness of the people in the pub and how they're trying to keep the secret. And then you've got like the doctors that are just taking no interest in him at all. Not believing anything he says, everything comes across as quite carry on. Yeah, I can I can see where you come from. I really struggle to find any humour in the film whatsoever. I thought the for me, I thought the only comedic aspect was the the sergeant or the lieutenant bumbling around, um, but even that felt like you've just said like carry on comedy rather than natural infused realistic live comedy. I, I didn't get comedy from it at all. So, well, for my mark, I mean, I think it's fucking hilarious. I think it's genuinely... <laughs> like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just, like, different people's perceptions of what comedy is, but from my perspective, um, what Landis does is effectively the best blend of horror and comedy that I can think of um, that, genu- that genuinely makes this stuff that is properly funny so that almost like crocodile dundee fish out of water feel um uh, when 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 jack is like in in the zoo and he's naked um that is pure carry on 
and yet you've got other stuff like the the Nazi dream sequence and the, the ending as well and the stuff on the subway um, that is properly fucking terrifying. Um, I, I, yeah, for, for, I don't know. It's, it's, it's clearly perceptions of what is funny, just as the same way as what is scary. But for me, it's the perfect blend of everything that is comedic and horrific. I, I find that it's it's more American. It feels like more of an American film, but because it's in a English setting, it maybe does kind of have that surrealist feel about it. Like you could you could take the comedy of it and put it in something like Weekend at Bernie's or whatever, you know. But because it's in an English setting, it it just feels that little bit off. But you know, millions of people aren't complaining, are they? Millions of people are watching it, so. Right, as I say, I mean, it, it runs from the comedy to the horrifying to the sur- the absolute surreal. When he's trying to get arrested, when he's when, he, when he's slagging off the Queen and Prince Charles and Prince, Prince Charles is a, I'm going to use it here and only here because we're in a safe place. But he says like, it's, doesn't he say like Prince Charles is a faggot? He does, yes, <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> which is which is why I'm starting a personal. Uh, campaign to have this film cancelled. <laughs> I'm not really. He also calls out lots of other people he, as he well. The Queen's a bitch. Queen's a bitch. Well. Yeah. Well, Queen's a man. Well, like, to- totally what you said though, because like this is made by an American director, and I think like its portrayal of England as a whole is very much from a, like a carry-on perspective. It is very caricatured. It's it's like a faulty towers England of like bumbling police officers. Um, everything revolves around London, and you can go from like the deepest, darkest moors to the very, very centre of Piccadilly mm. in like a five-minute taxi ride. Like it, it is an outsider's view of of the UK, Absolutely. which it is. We've got a, we've got a nurse living in central London. So that's... <laughs> yeah, a house. She, if that wasn't, if that was a real life nurse in London, there was no way she is living where she is living. That is a ridiculously expensive, beautiful house. That's but what, what was... was the cost of living back then? I imagine it was still significant enough for it to be not an option yeah. for a single woman working for the NHS. And how good is David's travel insurance? You go, you go abroad. <laughs> You get tapped, they go, hey, why don't you go live with a nurse for a while? <laughs> She'll even fuck you in the shower. Do you know what? David is so blase to everything, really. I know he's got, obviously, the guilty conscience going on where he's seen his friend come back and whatnot. But he, after being attacked, he's like, well, I'm just going to go and fuck this nurse and I'm going to live here for a bit and everything's all right. Mate, you turn into a fucking werewolf. And do you not think, as well... He literally always looks like he's on the verge of cracking into a smile, yeah. <laughs> like constantly. He doesn't now. He doesn't nowadays. We saw a picture of him. He is an. He looks an angry man. His IMDb picture <laughs> looks the angriest thing. Check it out. It's ridiculous. His jowls have got jowls. It's not even that. He's just got a frown on his face, and I'm like, why are you so angry, David? What's going on? Mm. Mm. Do you know what did surprise me about the film? All the kind of faces that popped up that I yeah. literally never yes. even acknowledged Rick before. Mayo. So Rick, Rick Mayo being the big one, right? Mm-hmm. 
Rick Mel be in the big one, but let's not forget Nasty Nick Cotton yes. from EastEnders is also in there. <laughs> this is this is genuine news to me. Really? I didn't realise that Nasty Nick Cotton was in it. I don't know his yeah. name, but there's the uh, the copper from Band of Gold. Do you remember Band of Gold? With the yes. prostitutes? The, yeah. and the, these, these references play well to an international, <laughs> international audience. Well, it, it's like a who's who of Britain, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't think they were that famous back then. So, like, the taxi mm. drivers, the dude from um, Cockney's vs. Yes. Zombies? Yes. The granddaddy yeah. bit? Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of early roles for people but even even like nurse alex is like bobby from the railway children (laughs) which no one wants to see getting fucking railed in the shower (laughs) i i think good old jenna gives quite a bland performance oh she's terrible she's terrible in it let's not lie Mm. i mean i'm no actress i'm obviously not getting paid what she's paying but you know, she she's not trying her hardest in this, is she? I legit think she only got the role because of being in Railway Children and saying, yeah, I'll get me tits out. <laughs> I do. I think that's why she got the role, because it's such a... Because of how everybody perceives her, it would be such a, like, a flip reverse of what people expect from her. Yeah. It's like shocking. Just to give Jenny some of her due, what I would like to say is that her final shot and her final screams before it cuts to that great title track, um, the, the credit song, mm. I think is amazing. And it's, it's, it's almost one of the testaments to why I like the way that this film juxtaposes horror and comedy in the way that there's this absolutely tragic ending and she's got this. If you, you, you could debate, like, why she's so emotionally, romantically attached to someone she's only met for so long, but regardless of that, her loved interest has died and then it cuts to this, this fun song. I think her final scream is great. Do you not think it's yeah. amazing how those coppers managed to miss her when they were shooting? <laughs> like, didn't, not one yes. bullet went into her. They managed to go around her and into the side of David, who was, let's face it, directly in front of her. There's no way he could have been shot in his side <laughs> unless these bullets swerve. You know what? We're tearing this. There's no need to tear it because it's an amazing film. Sorry, Chris. Have you got... This is your film. Yeah, it is an amazing film. The simple fact is we can't... As much as we want to pick apart the logic of the bullets... We could, we're, we're going to do that. <laughs> we, we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have a podcast. We'd sit here, we'd sit here going, well, that's never going to happen. As I sit there for every rest, the picks from all the rest of you going, well, they wouldn't turn into a werewolf. That's rubbish. But yeah, we can't, yeah. can't argue that you can turn into a werewolf, but bullets have to completely obey the nature of physics. I think one thing we've not even... It's, it's almost taken for granted, I think, for horror fans, but we've not yet even talked about the transformation sequence mm. Rick Baker's Which, Oscar if, yeah Rick Baker's Oscar it is an American world in London it's the first thing you think about it's either that or it's the Nazi dream sequence like one of the two of those fucking weird that or the fact he's circumcised which is a gag they made during the during the hospital scene I checked <laughs> 
Except he's not in real life, which is why we don't see full from us. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> nah. What? Mitch, Mitch has turned into one of the Muppets in tribute to that scene from the film. I just want to take it back to transformation scene. Now, you know I like to be as positive as I can about things. <laughs> um, and give, like, the appropriate critique. Um, I think that transformation scene is really fucking... It's really good, and I think it still holds up today. So, like, watching it, like, all these years later, I'm still like, I can't think of another werewolf film that, that gets it like that does it that full on in your face and looks that good. The I think it's a really good transformation scene. I don't I don't like the Nazi scenes though. I think they look poor like their makeup. They kinda of tried to do it in Psychoville, didn't they? The Halloween special with David and Maureen where why does I say Maureen like that? Maureen. Uh David and Maureen where she turns into the werewolf, which I think John Landis had an involvement with as well. I'm not sure. But I think they also do it in Demons too, with a dog yes. turning into the demon. Yes. Oh, with that. Yeah. I tell you what, you can obviously see in this film, and I, I don't know if it's just because I watched Thriller over and over again as a kid, but you can tell it's it's John Landis' makeup. It's, do you know what I mean? By the time Jack... Jack is decomposing, yeah. Yeah, he's got that thriller zombie look about him, that green, grey kind of, almost comic book-like. And Jack as a, Jack as a moral conscience throughout the film is absolutely, he's, he's yeah. my favourite thing in it. Jack's the absolute best. He's this slightly snarky best friend. Oh, I mean, he's got a right to be. He ran off and left him. The minute he got attacked, he was fucking up and out bolting, mate. You know, wonder you feeling guilty. I don't blame him. If someone got attacked, if someone gets attacked by a werewolf and you're hanging around thinking there's something you can do, what if I got attacked by a werewolf? I'll be off. I'll be. I won't leave you fair. Thank you, Mercer. I'd probably be the werewolf, though. You probably would. No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't leave you. I would. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't lie. I would run. Fuckers. You would too. I wouldn't run. I'd stay in help you. I'd be kicking uh, yeah, my dog. I'm sure. I wouldn't. I couldn't kick a dog. No, I couldn't do that. Sorry. There, there we go. Against animal cruelty. If nothing, if nothing else, werewolves attack. Werewolf attacks. No, can't kick dogs. Just let the poor bleeder be ripped from li- limb from limb. People fine. Kick the dog. No. No, I don't kick the dog. But steal balloons from a child while you're naked. He didn't steal them. He paid for them. A naked man, a American, naked American man stole my balloons. I thought he paid him for it. The kid does one. The kid does one of the best takes from being really amused to really angry in a second as he realised what's happened. I tell you, he's on the stage somewhere doing some Shakespearean fucking brilliant character acting. No, he is not. <laughs> the children in this film are fucking terrible. First of all, we've got Benjamin. No, no. Shut the fuck up, Benjamin. I'll know you in a minute. And then we've got him. I don't know you. Fuck off that little shit. He does, he does, he does kind of sound like he's... He's walked off of, what do you call Village it? Village of the Down. Village of the Down, yeah. <laughs> the two little laughing girls, I'll give them their due. They were fine, because that were a bit weird. 
I think I think we've 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 covered some odd odd parts of American Wealth in London. Some <laughs> alternative viewpoints from stuff that isn't covered. Because to be fair, let's face it, this film's been documented and written about and covered thousands and thousands of times. I'd just like to say what can you not love about the archetypical werewolf film? The perfect balance of comedy and horror. David and Jack, for me, absolutely brilliant. Their relationship between them works on absolute perfect pitch the whole way through. And it's just a great, great film with the best werewolf transformation you will see then, now, and possibly ever. And that is why you should vote for American Werewolf in London. So, I guess chronologically, it's my turn next. So, moving on from American Werewolf in London, which I think kind of almost put like a full stop in the werewolf genre. It almost was like, here's how you fucking do it. Fuck all the rest of yours. Fuck Wolfen. Fuck the Howling. Good luck, everyone else. And it, almost like the genre kind of stuttered for a little bit. Um, but my pick is what I think genuinely is the, the best werewolf film that we've ever had. Um, and I, I think many people would say it's the best werewolf film we've had since American Werewolf in London. But so my pick is from the turn of the millennium, from 2000s patriarchy smashing Canadian body horror, Ginger Snaps. Ooh. Directed by John Fawcett, uh, but more importantly, written by Karen Walton. Um now this pick was like it, it was an absolute no-brainer for me, um, and one I possibly had to fight other people for here within this uh, podcast sphere. Um, but I would say uh, I'm very, very thankful to fight for it, and it is. Um, I would say it's hard pushed to find a film that's kind of as that has had as much of an effect on me uh, certainly on teenage me as this one maybe the craft uh, but this was a f- real formative film for me um, I think it's fierce I think it's powerful it's sexy it's rage filled it's relatable and it's pretty much iconic um, I, yeah I love this film more than most of my family members <laughs> um, so uh, what is this film about? So this film centres on two sisters, um, Bridget Fitzgerald, played by Emily Perkins, uh, of It, 1992, I want to say fame, um, and Ginger Fitzgerald, Catherine Isabel, um, from wonderful, iconic heroine fame. Um, and they play a pair of angsty, aggy, alternative outcasts in their bajer than McCain's frozen roast potato sleepy <laughs> suburb town of um, Bailey Downs. Um, and these two sisters have a close bond, like suicide pact close. Um, we actually meet Ginger as she's playing with a butcher's knife and claiming that risks are for girls and that suicide is the ultimate way out. Uh, but we, we kind of see how much they hate their parents and their school and are outsiders both to themselves and within their own skin. Uh, Ginger, 16 uh, years old at this point, is starting to menstruate for the first time, uh, which is even more horrifying um, for them both as they simply just don't want to grow up and become those like cookie cutter cunts of everyone in their town. Um, so one night, when out in the woods, they get attacked by a massive werewolf that ravages Ginger. Um, but she survives the attack, thanks to Bridget, 
And over the following days, her body begins to change far more than simple puberty could account for. Uh, she begins to grow fur on her chest. She begins to sprout a little baby dick tail um, <laughs> and gains the kind of slow motion walking down a high school corridor uh, confidence that you can only get in a late 90s horror film. True. Uh, and after this, uh, Bridget's super thrown out. She enlists the help of local drug dealer Sam um to try and save ginger from fully transforming into a werewolf uh but so happens that that teenage angst starts racking up a body count as ginger fully embraces the beast that's inside of her um and it all culminates in a house party where ginger has kind of fully transformed into a quadrupedal feral wolf um and is tearing through pubescent boys quicker than Jeffrey Dahmer um, on a popper's bender. Um, and Bridget, armed with a syringe full of monkshood and wolfbane, um, and a knife as well, uh, puts her sister down in an ultimately quite tragic sacrifice. Uh, and this ending fucking breaks my heart. Um, honestly cried so hard <laughs> when watching it this time, um, because the love between these two sisters even in angst and in these end phase is kind of the propulsive force in this, in, in, in this film. Um, so yeah, Ginger Snaps is my werewolf pick uh, because it's so much more than being just a film about a werewolf. It's about, uh, it's about that transformative part of our life, uh, which is what all werewolf films are about, but I particularly love this one. Okay. So Mercy, what's your <laughs> I love Ginger Snaps. It's one of them earlier films I remember watching and, and it like resonating quite a lot with me and, and loving like the characters and the just everything about it. I think my favourite thing about Ginger Snaps, sadly enough, is the the um montage of suicide pictures that they do um the credit sequence yeah yeah so that's my favorite part uh which is quite sad and i remember that actually drove me when i was younger to i mean remember this is 2000 so that's not that long ago for us it's like 20 years ago so we were like 19 yeah um so that kind of drove me to actually take photography at college i didn't pass because i quit (laughs) um, because i wanted to recreate that kind of portfolio of work. You followed it too close. You're like, fuck the system, fuck the man. I'm out of here. <laughs> Done. My tutor wanted some one-on-one time with me. And I were a bit like, uh, I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> I love that you've already brought up that like kind of school life influence of this film. Um, because the same thing happened to me. Um, obviously slightly later, I was kind of like 14, 15... <laughs> when I caught this on DVD. Um, but like like I said, originally, it had so much of an impact on me um, that I wanted to be Bridget and Ginger. More so, Brid- more so Ginger. Um, to the point that I had my art profile book and I was writing out by 16 or dead in this scene, wrists are for girls, wrists are for pussies. And the safeguarding team at my school was like, what is going on here? This 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 child is going to end his life, and I I wasn't. I was I was fine. I just liked this film, so it clearly had an effect. What I'm about to say 
don't think <laughs> that I hate the film because I don't. I love Ginger Snaps with all my heart. But watching it this time around, I did find Ginger quite selfish. Quite bratty. Yeah, <laughs> bratty and selfish and just her sister's trying to help her and she's just totally been a dick about it. And oh my god, it's drenched in angst. The teenage angst of it all is just it, I, I think it's, I think it's around that was the rigueur at that time though as well. And let's face it, so talking about it placing a time frame in your mind with Mitch being at school, obviously immersive photography. So I was I was living with my mate, my best man at the wedding at the time, and that around two thousand. Obviously, that's when the whole ninety eight to two thousand new metal breaking through and that whole angst-ridden mm. kind of time. It's like when he rocks up in the van and Glassjaw's playing. I thought, fuck me, I am old. Glassjaw <laughs> first album is on that. But yeah, that's why. That whole look and her old bratty, kind of angsty attitude was the whole kind of social scene at that time. If you'd been in the US school at that time, you wouldn't be able to move for skaters and no, no, new metal fans I'm, I'm bouncing just, around. I'm just saying this time it was, it was far more evident than it had been on previous watches. For me, I don't know if that's because I'm getting old. I noticed the same thing for Excellent when I was watching it. I felt a little bit more like Ginger was a lot more selfish than I remembered her being. I thought it was interesting and weird the way they did the, not weird, interesting, the way they did the Ginger gets a period, so she gets the curse. At the very same time, she gets attacked by a werewolf mm. and gets the curse. And then I, this time I'm like, hmm, is this a metaphor? <laughs> For for the change that women go through. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I've never looked at anything like that before. Like, I watched it just as... Um, I idolised Ginger when I first watched it. I, like you said, I wanted to be Ginger. I wanted to be that hot person walking down any corridor, in not even in slow motion. That's what I love about this. They didn't even slow-mo walk. They just had a walk. She's not slow-moed. Yes. She's not like she's not slow mode like the craft or clueless or all them old films. She's not. If you rewatch it, the second half of I that one is rewatched it. Okay, me too. <laughs> <Last night. laughs> me too. <laughs> Last night I didn't see slow mo. That's why it looked it just looked normal to me. But I did say um, I wanted to be a um, for that kind of like that reaction that everyone gives. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, look at you, you fucking turned yourself around. You're now fit. Even though she weren't ever, like, technically bad-looking or ugly, she's, always, she's quite beautiful throughout, like, like, society's idea of what was fit, that's what I wanted to be. Just going back to the whole, you know, period thing, that's obviously, like, Ginger Snaps shares the same themes that Carrie does in that you get your cycle and people start to associate with you are becoming a woman. Is that maybe why you're going a bit fucking nuts sort of thing? So it, it absolutely is on the same playing field. But the thing I like about Ginger Slaps is that it can be transmitted, this thing as well. So when she has sex with the guy and gives it to him, obviously a comment on like sexual health and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And he legitimately looks like a walking STD, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last jewels on his face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's, like, you instantly look at him and go, you have a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> he's got instantly. He's got fangs at this point, though. Massive, I was no one looked at him and gone, mate, you're a... 
Is it growing large? <laughs> it's like, yeah, so your muscles grow, you get a bit of acne, and you grow massive fucking canines out of your face. It's sexy. What? <laughs> it's funny, though, that you've said it about him, because I'm like, why has nobody noticed Ginger's got fangs? Like, she's got fangs, and... Like trees, bark, bark, nails. Apart from, apart from the like... nails, if you go to the fangs, like you were saying, early 2000s, new metal, they're all about putting fake fangs in and putting fake um, eye contacts in and stuff like that. So it could easily be explained away that way. Does anyone, did anyone remember the old US show, Beast, that was like Beauty and the Beast? But it was, it was done as a... Not a sitcom, it was a drama show. Is that Linda Hamilton? It might well have been. But that's what she's looking like by the time we get to the end of it. Yeah. She's looking like she's got kind of a slightly flat forehead and the bridge and the nose bridges flattened out. So, it's yeah. an unusual version of the wolf. It is like her transformation is really because sl- basically Ginger's transformation takes up the entirety of the film. And that's what I, I love. It's not something that's slap and dash like Maybe some other films uh, that we'll be talking about soon. Um, it's it's a, like an agonizingly slow process, which is what puberty is like. Um, I, I love like how analogous this film is mm. for puberty because um, it is fucking horrible. Like your body is doing something that you aren't ready for. You're growing hair in places that you don't expect. You're literally fucking bleeding out of a part of you that is incredibly sensitive and you aren't ready for. And obviously I am not the person to talk about menstruation. Um, this film maybe shouldn't be spoken about by like a, 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 a white cis male, but this film so inherently taps into puberty, even as a white cis male, it's a film that I massively relate to. I don't know about you guys, but I can tell you as a female that. There is nothing more terrifying, especially in school, than getting your period. You are constantly, and I don't want to go too much into it, but you, you are constantly paranoid that everybody is going to see it. You're going to sit down on a plastic chair in school and you're going to get up and there's going to be a big pool of blood beneath you. It is a fucking fear when you're in school. So, yeah, it's horrible. But also, like, genuinely, tell me a film that that portrays menstruation as plain sight as a girl with blood red underwear this is so it's it's playing to its audience like it wants the, the, the kind of the people that are watching it that are also the same age as ginger that are going through the same things as ginger as this is so empowering for those people to see those problems on the screen and it's not actually until recently going back to like mainstream tv and stuff that you look at adverts for periods and sanitary products where they've only yep. just started using red liquid. For years, it was blue because they didn't want to offend anybody. They didn't want to put anybody off. But now they've started making it red. That scene where she finds her underwear and look, picks up, it's like the South Park Chipotle away. <laughs> I was ready to be quite. It's like, yeah. And you eat that, and then blood comes out of you, and you still keep doing it. If your knickers were that room from a period, by the way, you'd be throwing them away. You wouldn't just be putting them in wash. And then you wouldn't have blamed your sister for the fact that your mum found out that you're on your period when you put your pants in the wash basket for your mum to wash. What does she think she does? Are you blind when you put in washing in? Serious question. Is that what happens when you do washing? Do you go blind? I love that. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is everything I love about this film. Is, it, is the 
teenage experience. It's putting your underwear when you don't want it in the family wash and your mum, who is so disconnected from you, that your mum, your father, everyone else in the family is so disconnected from you that don't understand this period that you're going through. Excuse the pun. This is based... Um, this is basically Richard Linklater does horror. Yeah. So this is from, this is family drama kind of coming of age with a wolf, wolf in it, which is why I love Ginger Snaps. It's not about the wear, as we've already said over and over again. Mitch puts so eloquently. <laughs> it's not about the transfer. It's not about the werewolf. It's about the coming of age yeah. drama part of it. It is. I mean, like at some point, Ginger says, "Like I get this ache, and I thought it was for sex, um, but." In actuality, it was to tear everything to fucking pieces. And I'm like, bitch, me too, the fuck? <laughs> I, I totally relate for that. Because you, you, there is something about puberty that is just so rage-filled. And you're so angry at everyone around you. It doesn't matter like how um, esoteric or goth or emo you think you are. You think you're the only person that is going through this. And this absolutely fucking taps into that. Um, yeah, yeah, they're using a lawnmower to make it look like their intestines are splayed out. Um, but that's the exact same thing that I genuinely think everyone goes through when they're a teenager. And that's why I think this film is so fucking relatable. Agreed. I like to see the two sides as well. So of this, like everyone having their own battle. So you, we obviously were following Ginger and Bridget, but Trina was a complete fucking bitch. Mm. But the whole point is she's so desperate to be liked and accepted and loved by everyone else around her that that's why she acts the way she does. I will say one thing, though. When Ginger goes for her and actually finally beats her, I did yee out loud as in yee, <laughs> finally. Like, because she's a bitch and she deserved getting punched in face. But does she? But does she deserve it? If she's only trying to do what Bridget and Ginger are doing, does she actually yeah. deserve that? Yeah, because she's horrible to Bridget. She's she, she she's physically aggressive to Bridget. And Bridget literally hasn't touched her at all. She's had a little joke about how she thinks she should die, which we all do, right? We all <laughs> say how we think someone should die. A little joke. But you don't expect them to hit you. Mm-hmm. I think Square that, on it face. The thing is as well, Bridget, for all she says, she don't want to fit in. She absolutely does. She's just like the rest of them. Like you were saying, they are all the same. They just all want acceptance. And to be fair, she I mean, I'm not sticking up for her. I don't think she's a nice person, but you can understand why she'd go for her if she's making a joke about her dying. And she fucking gets to come up and soon end anyway. A dog gets killed. Don't care about her getting killed, but a dog gets killed. This is something I have not liked about this week, by the way. I'm just going to put this flat out there right now. The fucking dog deaths have been ridiculous and I've not enjoyed them one bit. Uh, and there's lots of dog deaths. A lot. In... The opening of this film with a dog death is fucking great. It's in, it, it sets the film out from the get-go that it will not pull its punches, that it will have a toddler play with a dismembered paw of its family pet. And I love that. It, it's basically a calling card saying, no, this is going to, this will be fucking horrifying, even though it's dealing with teenage issues mm. in inverted commas. And the most horrifying thing about that is when the woman runs out on the front and she's screaming <clears throat> and nobody gives a fuck. 
Yeah, yeah, including like Bridget. She's like, she's like, oh, he ate dust. Baxter ate dust or something like that, yeah. So, I guess, if you want me to round this up, I mean, I think this film... If I was to summarise, based on what we spoke about before, American Werewolf put the full stop on the werewolf film. It said, the Wolfman might have done it in like 1940, but this is a film about werewolves. Full stop, it's the best one. And then Karen Walton, the scriptwriter, John Fawcett, um, the director, uh, basically said, yeah, but we're going we're gonna to change it now and we're going to make it something that is about something different. Um, so for me, by using the kind of the werewolf subgenre as a framing device for puberty, menstruation, uh, sexuality, and outsiderness, Ginger Snaps basically tears up the rule book. Um, it abandons um, all those kind of lycanthrope tropes, like the, the, those 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 lycanthropes. Um, and it's it's not just the best werewolf film. But it's also the best coming of rage film uh, that we've had, as, as far as I'm concerned, ever. Um, it's simply the film for anyone that ever um, feels they've been an outsider. It's it's a siren song to those uh, those goth, those emos, those outsiders out there uh, that that want to be put into these powerful figures that Ginger is. Uh, so for me, Ginger Snaps is the best werewolf film. So we'll move on to me next. Um, my pick is 2002's Dog Soldiers. Not really starring anybody that you know, bar Sean Pertwee. Am I right? And Tommy. Tommy from Trainspotting. Who plays Private Cooper in this. So we don't need to mention any other names. Let's just let that be the takeaway from this bit. So, because uh, <laughs> Faye does not know them. Um, there, we, we start with a couple camping in the woods and they're getting it on and he's about to shove his hand down her balloon pants is the only way I can describe them. Those big ass chunky pants. Um <laughs> that sounds really odd. And uh she gets ripped out by a werewolf, you know. Werewolf's like, you're not having any foreplay. Get out of here. I'm eating you. We then cut to Private Cooper who's on a mission, is evaded capture for a few days and his colonel's finally caught up with him. He asks him to perform a task of killing a dog. He rejects that and the colonel shoots him anyway. Faye's not happy at this point, um, swearing at the TV, wishing he'd die. Kind of don't care if he does die, going ahead in the film. And it moves to a few weeks later and um, Private Cooper has been sent out on a general mission, I guess, with Sean Pertwee, and it's just supposed to be um, a play out in just a, what do you call it? War games. A war game. So that's all it's supposed to be, and then they find the colonel uh, with half his guts ripped out, and it becomes apparent that there are werewolves running around Scotland, but they won't believe it, even though they've seen them. <laughs> and then uh, they end up being forced to go back to this cabin i guess where they meet megan and megan says she's been there as like a wildlife conservationist sort of thing and she's seen firsthand what these wells can do and she spends her time trying to convince them that there are werewolves but they still won't believe it even though they've seen them with their own eyes there's not a lot to go with on dog soldiers let's not lie it's just a it's it's, it's an hour and a half to switch your brain off 
and just have a bit of fun. And sometimes I don't mind that. I happen to think that the transformations in this film are fucking kick-ass and I can see by faces that um, people aren't agreeing with me on that point. <laughs> I mean, the I'm just going to fucking go. I'm just going to go. No, 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 no. I, I, all right. Let me preface this by saying I like Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers is a really, really fun um, action horror film, but the transformations, there is none. No, but I mean, like, the actual werewolves themselves. Yeah, they I like, like the they, look of the werewolves. It's, it's, again, like, to bring back Carry On, the, the, the soldiers, like, duck behind a piece of furniture and then come back and they're a fucking werewolf. <laughs> and I, I think I was... I don't know. It's weirdly comedic to me and I don't know if it's meant to be. I don't like, think I've, it is. I've, I've read stuff where Neil Marshall has said it's meant to be a comedy horror. Really? Like every yeah, genuinely like every time I've watched it though, I don't get comedy from it personally. Well, I think the dialogue, else, but... yeah, yeah. I was say I think with the kind, I think with the kind of banter between the soldiers there and the platoon, I think it's clear that he's going, he's going for that kind of comedy tone with them, and the fact that it's so over the top, slocky with the attacks and stuff. I mean, the scene when I don't want to jump ahead, but there's a scene near the end. Where he's literally punching a werewolf in the face. He's going mano a mano with a werewolf. There is no way you write that script with a straight face. So I completely believe Neil Marshall when he says, "Yes, it is supposed to be a cop, more of a comedy action horror than a straight, a straight horror film." As, as a dynamic, I love their character interaction together. I, I actually think it flows quite naturally, and Sean Pertwee is hilarious in it. I don't care what none of y'all say. When he's fucking asking to get punched out on that bed, I love it. Uh, I'm going to literally just cover every single point all of you have just said very quickly, because that's what I do. So first of all, uh, comedy. Comedy? There's no. There's literally no comedy in that film whatsoever. It's, <laughs> it's, I, I don't care what anyone says. And yes, I think it was written as serious. It looks, like you said, Chris, quite comedic, someone punching someone in the face. So I think they've done a Laurie, Laurie Brewster or something and gone, no, 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 it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's supposed to be a comedy. That's what I think's happened there, first off. Um, second of all, then campers. That kissing made me feel fucking physically <laughs> sick. The noise of them kissing absolutely drove me crazy. Even, even if it lasted less than a second, it sounded like some slobbering animal chowing down in some trough it was violent <laughs> just so you know I'll tell you what I don't mean to keep you off just while, just while we mentioned that opening scene I loved I loved the, the pulling the woman back and forth like she's a chew toy with a wolf I mean that's absolutely <laughs> brilliant do you know what is genuinely good about that part the fact that she doesn't scream throughout mm. and that it, it's like she is in like shock and she really doesn't know what to do I like that because that felt a little bit more real yeah. than someone just screaming because um, I think panic would take over first and I don't think you would scream when someone's chomping on you. So that's good. The interaction between the characters is great. I love the interaction between these these guys. It feels authentic yeah. and, and they kind of feel authentically like they are in the armour, I think. The werewolf transformations, yes, there isn't one. There's a, oh, look, I've got orange eyes. Oh, look, I'm a werewolf now. Just quickly, but, just quickly, I just meant the look of them there. Sorry, that's not No, no, bad I'm, I'm going to get onto that. But oh. the, way, the way the three main werewolves look, like with them really extended legs, 
and then really slender bodies and then the hair kind of just at the top and on the head, I thought was, I loved it. Of the four films, they are my favourite werewolves, yeah. they, the way they look. They look I they, think they look like they're from a circus. It looks like if, <laughs> it does, but it looks like if Cirque du Soleil were doing werewolves, a werewolf shun, that it, that's what I'd imagine them to do the werewolves looking like. What they look What they look like is a much less sinister version of Peach Fuzz from they Green. They really do. They've got a peach for his face. Also, the, the the three main werewolves are dancers as well. Oh. So that's why, like, I think it's supposed it's supposed to be a little bit more like. Yeah. Is that is that me. why? Is that why they're really angry? They just they just want to dance, and they've turned just, up and they've been there, and they just want to make a living as a dancer. And the army come in and kicking their door. Yes. So, uh, someone for me pointed out that the werewolves in Dog Soldiers had the exact same body type as, uh, the, like, the cursed live-action Sonic the Hedgehog film. <laughs> no. I, 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 that was before I rewatched it, and now I can't unsee it, because they're no. very, like, blah, 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 like, boggling, top-heavy. Um, I've seen and- Sonic the Hedgehog. I actually really like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> They are. They, I, I, they could look like Sonic pre, pre like pre release when yeah. everyone campaigned to get that fucking Sonic off the screen. So yeah, yeah totally that. But yeah. not now. Not how Sonic looks now. I think they look brilliant. Like I, I said, they're, 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 they're my they're look wise, they're my favourite. Mm. I think they've got an element of like flamboyance, uh, which I kind of want in a werewolf. I don't know why. I just feel like a werewolf should be a little bit more flamboyant as a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm fabulous, darling. Yeah, I do. There's something about werewolves which I feel like it's... I don't know. I feel like they they should be a little bit more elegant, a little bit more flamboyant, um, but also have the ability to scare the shit out of you with the physical kind of... Yeah, which is kind of interesting because this this film is like so lad 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 testosterone filled because it's soldiers. It's it's like aliens, isn't it? It's, it's mm-hmm. soldiers um, from a almost chauvinistic point of view um, with that kind of like male dominance fighting things that we can do because we're men and we can do it um, to the point where one of them it, actually gets called out on it as well, where he turns to him and says, "You're loving this, aren't you? This is all like guns and violence, and and they're, they're not loving it, but he is. So it's um, it's almost calling that out." Yeah, totally. Uh, it, it's it's almost so. I I think w- when I rewatched this, I was almost like, "Is this too for me anyway? Is this this too like male focused? Is it too masculine?" But I almost liked that it was using that as a, a framework to strip it back. It was all of these characters that were like hyper masculine, hyper like testosterone field. And, um, and, and they were made out to be wusses or to be weak. I think that's, it, it explores it quite well. Mm. I think, I think it's really, really difficult to not like a film, um, where there's a character that is called spoon. Uh, <laughs> makes like an ultimate sacrifice and says the line i hope i give you the shit (laughs) (laughs) i think that's great that dialogue's amazing i fucking love that dialogue 
I love, yeah. the, I love the fact yeah. it highlights how bad nicknames we are at one point as well during the film where it goes, here's everyone's cool side. That's uh, that's Spoons, that's Sarge, Bob, <laughs> Cra- Craigie. <laughs> I tell you, I'll tell you what is a great scene. When um, Sean Pertwee's character's innards just come out everywhere and, and the pure enthusiasm of just shove it back in. <laughs> it I, won't fit. It fucking will, mate. <laughs> I wasn't aware until Chris said that this is something that happened in what, Vietnam War. Vietnam. Where they basically just glue you back together. That would genuinely well, that's happen. They, that's what they do in the film. Yeah. But that, yeah. that is a real thing. That's like... So, you know when the dog pulls something out of them? Mm-hmm. What did you perceive that as being? Because I've always watched it and thought that the dog was pulling the the intestines. It's a, band- it's a bandage, I think. It's apparently the bandage, but yeah. in the original script, it was meant to be his intestine. Oh. But, um, uh, but Neil was like, it's too dark, it's too much. But when I watch it nowadays, it still looks like it might be his intestines mm. that the dog is t- tugging on. I mean, it's a dog. He could have grabbed anything from her. Well, I just feel like we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, these men and these wolves. And we're missing a very key element of this film. Megan. Yes, Megan. What the fuck is the deal with Megan? Oh, Seriously. Fucking, no. I don't understand the character. Like, we've got her. In one instance, she's like, oh, I thought I were, you were a rescue team. So I thought you were going to get me away from this. And then she's like, well, now I know you can't get me away. I may as well just turn into the wolf that I am. Mm-hmm. Like, what was she going to do if she got away? She's still a werewolf. I think she thought that by getting away from the fam- the, the heritage of it all, that yeah, it might so- change her and she might not become a werewolf. Yeah, it's only when she... It's when they she goes outside and they've ripped out all the engine from the, va- from the van that she's like, oh, I thought we could get away, but I thought I could get away from here, but... It's clear that there's never any chance of me actually leaving it. But she spends the rest of the film trying to help them, tell them they're a werewolf. She even shoots one of the people. She flashes them in their eyes. She gets all the way to end the film and she says, actually, we're all a big trick. <laughs> they're in house. They have been all along. <laughs> But like, what do you see that as a twist? Because the fact that she was using like a non-lethal version of putting off the werewolves was that not a clue? The fact that she, she shot one up? afterwards, didn't you? Yeah. So um, I thought there were there was obviously some kind of the film was trying to tell us, or oh, you need to watch out for Megan, like when she cuts her hand and stuff, and she like like. <gasps> And you're like, all right, so she's cut around. She's a bit melodramatic here. That's because she knows it's going to heal, mm. I'm guessing. So I'll wrap it up in a bandage that's like, you know, what you more than what Sarge has got around his entire fucking intestines coming out. <laughs> I, um, I just didn't understand that. And I didn't understand the backstory between her and Ryan either. Like, the, he's been there before. She knows him. Is it, is it because he, he's aware of the werewolves and he's trying to catch them and she helped him before? That's what I took from it. Yeah, I think she was enlisted. Oh. She, I, think, I think that's the gist of it, that she was enlisted by special ops as part of that team, as a wildlife expert to be there as part of the team when they were trying to catch him. And she'd been up there, she'd gone up there 
in advance to actually do all the research before the team arrived. Mm. And do you know what else? She's not very, uh, she's not listening very well. Um, because throughout that film, while she's with them, several times, the people go, Coop, Cooper, Coop, Cooper. And then she goes, so, Sergeant, what's your name? She's not American. They've literally just said it in front of your face. Sean Pertwee and Coop, and she stood there. Sean Pertwee's literally just gone, Cooper, Cooper. Oh, what are you called? Fuck off. Mercy, Listen. this is just an observation, but I don't think you like Megan. Uh, do you know what? I don't think she's very good in it, but she looks a bit like Melanie Linsky, so it puts me off because I love Melanie mm, Linsky. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, that's my two cents on... Oh, one last line, one last thing on Dog Soldiers. I've just got to say, that very end where Cooper is, like, stabbed Ryan with Silver and then he shoots him and he's like, you think it's all over? It is now. Shut up. What a stupid, stupid line. Do, do you know what Chris's problem were with the ending? What? The fact that he walks through the door of the ruins rather than walking round. <laughs> I said, he just wants a sense of normality after what's gone off. Do you want to know what I loved about the ending? Yep. The dog lived! Yay! <laughs> Doggo was all fine. Not the first one that got shot in the head, poor thing. But second doggo, all fine. So it's a good ending for me. Um, to wrap up, dog soldiers. It's not. There's not much to say, guys. Is there? It's a fun film. It's got great banter throughout. Seventy-five percent good performances. <laughs> um, amazing werewolves and a dog that lives. So, if you like all that jazz, vote dog soldiers. Right, I guess that brings us to the final film of this episode. Uh, a, a film of my choosing. It's the 2014 Blake Um also known as Nightwatch, I believe. Um, but let's not run with that title, don't like it. So Late Phasers, it's from director Adrian Garcia Bologna. Bugliano. Bugliano. Is he a chemical or a sandwich meat? Yeah, I was going to say, you're not ordering a fucking Subway in New York. <laughs> All right, this is a mummy third bottle of wine. Um, it's also uh, written by Eric Stoles, who, my friends, was um, also part of the writing team, I believe, for The Stylist. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now do you like it? Because this is his best work. <laughs> so Late Phases is a story of Ambrose. He's a blind Vietnam War veteran who's um, been moved to a kind of residential um, community, retirement community by his son, Will, uh, who's played by Ethan Embra. Uh, Ambrose is Nick Dimitri from um, Stakeland. Uh, yes, yeah, so he moved into this retirement community with his C&I dog, Shadow, beautiful German Shepherd. God rest his soul. <laughs> um, and um, from the get-go, um, is involved in a, a beast attack. And then it, a beast attack. Beast attack. Um, now, as this fiercely independent war veteran who wants to prove to everybody and the world 
that he's capable of dealing with his own affairs and handling himself. He takes it upon himself to try and source who this beast person is and bring an end to them. Um, and he has four weeks to do it or one month to do so. I think um, something which I discovered about myself after Cellular Screens is there's, there's something quite I like about somebody with a disadvantage trying to protect themselves and take on the world. Um, so when it's done well, I like it. When it's done bad, you know, push style or whatever, it's not as good. Like when they miss out on tricks. But I think this one works quite well because it gives us the idea of how he prepares himself. So like with the counting the steps throughout the house, so he knows exactly how many steps he's got to take to get mm. to where he needs to be. Um, his use of other people to, you know, get the things that he needs. Um, and I think I, th- I think Nick Dimitri is a really good actor. I, I, I don't see him in much. I only really know him yeah, I only really know him from the Stakeland movies. Um, forget Stakeland 2, though. Um, so I only really know him from Stakeland. We'll run with that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just think it's a good film. It's a nice. It's nice to, you know, we've got elder characters that are as focused. We've not got young teens running around. Um, and there's also, like, a, a level of just acceptance that some things exist. So when he first feels it's a werewolf, there's no, it can't possibly be a werewolf. He's just like, right, fuck, I've got a werewolf to fight. And he doesn't even question that that's what it's going to be. I like the age of the characters in the film. I think it's really refreshing to, to show that these kind of things can happen to you no matter what age you are. And like you said, I mean, not only Ambrose and his difficulties, but the difficulties they have, like, you know, they're not very mobile, Especially the lady in the beginning, she can't just fucking sprightly get away. Does he turn into a blind werewolf? Please, God, let him turn into a blind werewolf. Does he? <laughs> I had I visions mean, of him I mean, ch- changing and just bumping into door frames and shit when he was chasing after people. Would Would he be a werewolf or an un a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but exactly what exactly what Faye was saying though. It, it it's it. This is a film where the protagonists aren't what you're used to. They're not like sex hungry teens. They're sex bored pensioners in a retirement village, and, and it, it completely changes the the, the goals and the the, the filler um, narrative of a normal horror film. They're not. Sex- it, it makes it so interesting. They're not sex bored. Those three women are sniffing around as soon as he moves in. They're around with cake and pie. And it's not this it's not the pie in the tub. <laughs> and one of them, she's got her husband at home in an iron lung. So, you know, she's deaf after some. I love them three women as like a little click. Like they're just so like you just know that they're them girls at school who like look down on everybody because they're going out with jocks and Everything were perfect for him, and they always got what they wanted. And when he, that first interaction between them and him, and he's like, ah, basically, fuck off, ladies. And it's just like, what the fuck? That's never happened to us before. He's so sarky with them. 
It's like, well, no, I can't on account I'm blind. It reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of the blind pianist in Friday Night Dinner. It was just constantly sarcastic. But the ladies, um, they almost feel like the ladies from Edward Scissorhands, where they come along and everything's a big drama. Like, he only wandered into the house and was just having to feel around. He wasn't going to turn it off and kill the husband. But she's like, oh my God, you nearly killed my husband. And then as soon as he's gone, you won't believe what he did. It's like, wait, you invited him in. He didn't break in. You invited him in. They're so dramatic yeah. about everything. On the bus when she's like, he tried to kill my husband. <laughs> or when he walks out at church. And they just she's just repeatedly saying, <laughs> just turning and looking at him. And they're looking at girls going, oh, why has he even got that? And what's he even doing with this? He's just like, all right, chill out. He's like, he's there. He's blind, not deaf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he's walking around with a shovel as a walking stick, which is a little bit of an odd. <laughs> I love that. When he first started walking around, I went like, I don't fully understand what's going on. Like, why has he got this shovel? And I'm like, oh, because he's constantly going to have something to protect himself with. This man is clever. and Just get a silver cane. Know, that costs money. He's trying to save up for a tombstone. I know, but he knows, he knows he's got 28 days, though, as well, until they attack again. Why is he looking at it right? Is that smart? He'd pick up on day 28. True. True. I think that's interesting, the way that he gets his son to take him tombstone shopping. Because um, that's quite a morbid thing to ask your child to do, isn't it? You just come and help me find a tombstone for when I'm dead, please. Nothing like the adverts you see on TV it. where it's a lovely, happy affair. Mom, you should be thinking about these things. Yeah. Fucking hate them adverts. Be fair though, you go, oh, I'll take, this, I'll take this son with him. Exactly how, exactly how is he going to get there otherwise? It's like, True, yeah. It's like, oh, don't worry, I'll just, I'll just hop in the car. I'm going to need one of these anyway when I get down the end of the road. Have you ever heard of a taxi, Chris? Or public transport? These things exist. <laughs> he could have done that. You don't ask your son, though, do you? You ask a, a, another war vet? Why, why would you need to buy two soap for yourself and you have a family? Would you start asking another random war vet to come shopping with you? Why are you picking flaws in something so little that I've said, Chris? You just purposely want to put me down and let everyone think that I'm stupid. And I'm not stupid. I know what things mean. Um, don't worry Mercer, you don't just do this with you that's all I'm saying I mean maybe if I'd have picked an American werewolf in London he'd be going on about our shit the transformation scene where or something just to put me down (laughs) how great is the transformation scene in late phases because I think it's fucking incredible yes I like the transformation scene in late phases what I don't like is how long the priest stands there before he runs away and it's like, this man is stretching in front of you. <laughs> like, go. The when he rips his face open, I love that. And do you know what I love more? And it, again, it leads back to the age of the characters. When that priest runs, he don't run. He kind of, like, semi-hobbles ah, like I would if I were trying to run. Yeah. He gets to his car door and he's like, fuck me, I am exhausted right now. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? He's like, there's no... Boom, bam, boom, off we go. He's just like... <laughs> I wouldn't even I wouldn't even bother. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be here. Fuck it. You know what? We're all going to go sometime. I don't, the, transforma- <laughs> the transformation scenes are absolutely fine. I've got no issue. I don't like how they look in general. 
in the same way that when I saw Dark Light the other year, it's clearly just a man dressed up in a suit as an alien. It it's is, clearly yeah. it's clearly just someone wearing a big werewolf suit. When he knocks through the window, when the werewolf knocks through the window in that first scene, it does look to, like he's gone, shh, oh, fuck it, and just wanders <laughs> off. Sorry. I, um, I've already said that what I think is my favourite kind of werewolf visual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these look at... I love the film. I think these look a bit too cartoonish. Right. In the face. So there's something a little, like, they're meant to be scary, but they're kind of like, they're, they're that kind of scary that you look at and go, oh. You scary. Oh, I'm going to run, but I kind of just want to do a little. I'm going to pet you. Wiggle first. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I know you're going to kill me, but no. Um, there is a bit cartoony about them. But then I'm thinking now. So there's several shots in the film that I think look like they could be stills in a comic book. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether they... So now thinking about it, it does feel like the wolves have got a comic book type of feel. And I wonder if maybe that was something they were going for, but didn't really come across well enough for it to be... I don't know. It, it might have I, been like a, a proof of concept kind of thing at the beginning to like... You know, your storyboards and stuff. They might have took it from that and goes, actually, that looks pretty cool and just gone ahead and used it. Have you ever seen the Stephen King book, Cycle of the Werewolf, which is like a graphic novel um, based around a werewolf transformation? Um, It's kind of similar to this. It's fucking incredible. Mm. It's one of my favourite werewolf things that are out there. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's, it's way better than Silver Bullet. Like the, the Stephen King well film. Not seen Silver Bullet yet. Is. Oh, Silver Bullet's super fun. Yeah. But um, Cycle of the Werewolves, um, I, I remember I, I, I fucking sold it like 10 years ago because um, I didn't think anything of it. But now, in retrospect, I kicked myself over it. But it's this like graphic novel come short story collection mm-hmm. that Stephen King did with it. I, I can't remember the illustrator's name, uh, but the images in it are so horrifying. It's uh, it's incredible. I recommend everyone check it out. Cool. After you've checked out late phases, which we're just in the middle of talking about. So, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got bitch mode on today for some reason. Um, some things uh, I love about late phases as well uh, is some that the, they some of the characters, like the way that they're done. So the police officers, where we've got that older officer who seems all right, but then that younger one who's a complete cunt, and mm-hmm. he's constantly just cutting them down or making OAP jokes, at him, um, which I quite like, because I feel like... That's something you do. The... <laughs> huh? I think I'm the oldest person here. <laughs> I'm not cutting anyone down who's older than me, am I? Children. I'm kidding, go ahead. Um, and then I like the security guard who like literally don't give a fuck like when people come and then when the werewolf comes, his, his first response is right, I'll lock these gates and then I'll do one. Smart, see? The most well-rounded character in the film. Sitting there doing a job he hates and then when shit goes down he's like, no, fuck it, not worth being here, I'm off. Yes, other things I like about the film are the fact, like I said before, people take things for as they are. There's no kind of like, ooh, ah. And when um, when the actual werewolf sees Ambrose with that bag from the gun shop, 
Yeah. He knows immediately what he's got because he's the one who went before to get the silver bullets. So he's like, he knows that he's worked art and he actually now has to defend himself. I quite like, I quite like the way he chooses to defend himself by infecting other people. I think that's quite smart to go, oh shit, he's after me. I need backup and therefore I'm going to infect a couple of people. Yeah, yeah, I'll create an army. I mean, his choice of army isn't great, is it? The three women. <laughs> Army's an three... army. However you pay That's it. the thing, he's not, found those, he's not got those coppers who come around all the time and go, right, they're fit young men. I'll get them. I guess it's because of the timing as well, though. He knows that it's going to take time for him to change. So if you buy some coppers, they'll probably end up in prison and they'll be elsewhere. He needs them in the community, do not he? But I quite like that. Um, and then, but what I think is funny is like when they, they start transforming, nobody knows. Nobody, like they're screaming and nobody comes out of the house to check. And when Ambrose is shooting guns and, like, killing werewolves on that main street, like, nobody comes to check. Why not? Old people, hearing yeah, heads yeah. are... No, fam. It's, it's, it's a commentary on, the like, the care home scene, is that no one gives a fuck. <laughs> what's, what's going on? It's fine. They're, they're just old. What can they do? They'll just go for a nap. Also... If you had gunshots outside on your street, Mercer, would you go out and look what's happening? Or would you shit yourself and get in a safe place? I'd peek out my bedroom window like I normally do when I hear a noise. That's it. Constantly hear gunshots outside. It's a beauty of living in What did you make of the weird mousetrap setup he had at the end, though, with the, two, with the tombstone? <laughs> I mean... I didn't fully understand the way... So what doesn't make sense to me in things like this is that is, that's a trap to catch that werewolf. But then he's got all the setup inside the house as if he was planning for multiple attacks. Yeah, and that, I mean, that trap only works if he manages to get a werewolf to stand in the grave. It's an open grave with a smelly dead dog, isn't it? I think that's uh, the plan. Probably. It's just funny. It's just funny when he pulls the rope and then you see... You have to, obviously, just so you don't see a tombstone just topple over and it makes no sense whatsoever, you have to see all the mechanics, mousetrap style as we go go around and follow the rope, yeah. I think some... I think, yeah, I think, obviously, you have to suspend quite a little bit of disbelief in in the attack and the way he approaches it, because I don't know, you know, like, how he manages to be so on point with his shots, um... When there's multiple werewolves outside making noise, but he managed to pinpoint it to one. Whereas I'm guessing if your senses aren't great and you've got multiple noises, it's going to be hard to pinpoint just one of them. So I guess you have to suspend some disbelief. I think what I love the most is the fact that he, he throughout the film, has pretty much like painted the picture to his son. Um, and to everybody that he's going to die and he wants to die. Like, he's, his life's not going to last for long. And then he has his chance to do something so great, but he knows that at the end of it, like, this will be the, his last stand, basically. And the fact that he pre-drugs himself up to die so that if he does get hurt, he's going to die anyway, I think that's quite a sad moment, like, when he's sung comes and he finds him dead you're like Aww. he's been bitten he's been slashed though isn't he is he dead or is he a werewolf in that casket 
He's, he's pre-taken pills to kill himself. So he's going to die. But is werewolf like is, is the fact that he's been slashed by werewolf going to kick in before? And obviously he's dead. He's in the casket. But is he going to turn? Because I thought they left that. I thought the fact they used the rifle at the end and him shoot. I thought they left that. It was deliberately left open to say whether he was I or mean, not. I get what you're saying, Chris, but it's six years later now, so I don't think it is going to happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the campaign starts here. The GoFundMe for late phases too. Later phases. Later phases. <laughs> but it is true, like you said, the fact that he points the gun up towards a full moon makes you think that the sun's going to take on some kind of I'm a hunt every motherfucking werewolf down in this world now because you're the reason my papi's dead. Um, but sun, I don't think so. The sun, by the way, Ethan Embry, looks yes. completely different to how he looks in Devil's Candy. It's yeah. unreal. So he's also in Grace and Franca. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, like, it wouldn't be an episode of that Mercer Perving, would it? Oh, it's not just Mercer. Um, in Devil's Candy and Grace and Frankie, I would. It's got that beautiful kind of. I'm a man, but this is a little off about me. I put. I can imagine him like pinning me down by throat. Yeah. I, I put his entire, entire bald head in my boy Volva. Oh, this is a family <laughs> show, guys. <laughs> it's not a family show. Uh, but anyway, um, as, to sum it up, I want to say I think Late Phasers is it's a werewolf film with a difference. It's, you know, we've got as protagonist or people that we don't expect to be uh, protagonist like the, the the film like age range is just shifted out of what we expect to 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 watch and what we think is normal so that gives it that edge on other films it's also another film where i think it's somebody it's not purely about the werewolf it's about someone else fighting their own demons and their own transformation from this bitter man into someone who's willing to be open and honest and express the feelings that he's held inside for so long to his son and explain things. So I think it's got that beautiful kind of family sense to it. It's fun. It's gore. And lots of dogs die, which everybody loves. No, they don't. <laughs> no. But, but, you know, it just, it, it just hits you from the get-go. It doesn't waste time. It starts, it, it gets you in. And um, I think it's really good. And I think Nick Dimitri does a, a fantastic job as the lead in Ambrose. Also, that's why you should pick it when you voted for best one. So, there you go. That's it. That was my movie. That's the end of the show. We'll just say goodbye to everybody. Um, so, let's just say um, a late phase is goodbye to Mitch. A late phase is goodbye to Faye and Chris. Late phases, late phases. Um, and then when you want to vote, just remember late phases when you voted. <laughs> And also, if you want to ginger snap yourself out of this delusion, then I would Mitch. have... Mitch, 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 it's a bit late phases for you to start interfering. <laughs> so, uh, but on a serious note, thank you for listening. Um, thank you to Mitch for joining us thank this week. You to, yeah, thank you, Mitch, for joining us this week. Yeah. Um, it's uh, a pleasure as John, always. John, can you hashtag like and not... Nice. Yeah, thanks. 
I think that joke went over his head. He did. I didn't old. hear it. He's a pensioner. He's he's voting for for late phases. He's old. She's an old bitch. She's an old <laughs> rusty bitch. She don't get it. She don't get it. She don't want it, bitch. <laughs> oh my. Anyways, thanks for listening. Um, and I don't know what we normally say, Chris. So I will let you give us the sexy part of the outro. The, the admin, the admin is the sexiest part of an episode. So, the poll for our best werewolf film will be up shortly after you listen to this episode. So please, let's vote and let us know why you're picking, as you have done. I don't need to plug American Werewolf in London. I'll plug the Dog Soldiers for Faye, though. Yay! There you go. If you want to reach us, you can do so on both Twitter and Instagram at SpitGrades. You can reach us on Facebook at I Spit on Your Grades. And if you're still into emailing, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe so that everyone else knows that we exist and that we're a nice little podcast to listen to. But that being said, it's just time to say goodbye. So goodbye, Mitch. Bye! Goodbye, Mercer. Thanks, bye. Bye, Faye. Goodbye for now. Beautiful. And it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye.